Um, my, my dad sort of kind of hit on it for a moment. All the way back from the beginning of time, God has ordained that the sin of mankind is covered or atoned by the, the death of an innocent party. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you know that, that Adam and Eve sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And, and, and my, my father, and thank you for that incredible opening and, and just kind of putting it all together. I think that deserves a fuller sermon at some point. I think there's some other pieces to that that, that we'll get to hear. But uh, from the very beginning, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and, and the devil, the Satan, the serpent kind of reared its ugly head and imposed himself into the, the timeline of humanity, you had the curse, and the curse was bitter. The curse was hard. The, the, the curse uh, hurts. The curse is painful. The curse separated. But, but after the curse, because see, sin always carries a consequence. But after the curse came the mercy. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve, because they had partaken of the knowledge, the tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open. And I find this very interesting. Adam and Eve, uh, I mean, I know they didn't have a wedding or a marriage ceremony, but in God's eyes, they were married. They were, they were together. They were bone of bone and flesh of flesh. But yet now they stand in an unfamiliar place. They stand in a place of shame. They stand in a place where now they are embarrassed to be in the same presence. Sin had entered. The Lord reached down. The Bible says, depending on what version you use, it says it clothed them with skin or it says it clothed them with skin of animals. And I think the, the, the use of words is very interesting. It did not say he clothed them and made some leather garments for them. But he said he, he ripped, I had a professor in Bible college teach me, Brother, Brother Littles, he says that, that really we ought, to, we ought to look at that, that God reached down and picked up some innocent animal and ripped the skin off that animal and put those warm, bloody skins on top of the sinful, shameful visage of Adam and Eve. Something died to cover their shame. You go a little bit further, you begin to find that sacrifices were instituted. When you get to the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, uh, this is right before they, they, God delivers them out of Egypt's bondage where they had been for over 400 years. And, and the Bible tells this, and I, I want to read it to you. The Bible says in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 12, he says... Um, in verse 3, tell the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. It goes on to say, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. Take it from the lamb, for the sheep from the, are the goats, and you're going to kill it, and then you're going to put the blood on the doorposts. And at that point, you begin to be introduced to something that plays out through the rest of the word of God. That the lamb that was going to be taken or slain for the sacrifice had to be a lamb without blemish. There, were, there were, were, were stipulations about the lamb and there were things that had to play out. Fast forward with me. Now we've left Egypt. We're into the wilderness. Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the law was given. Moses gets a hold of that. Moses then in turn has to teach those, those Israelites exactly what was required 
And so it was that God gave a very regimented, very solemn, very, you know, with a lot of ceremony and a lot of, uh, of pomp and circumstance, the law of how it should go to pass. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 1. And uh, I want to show you the law that that Bible says this is the law of the burnt offerings. And the Lord, this is Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, If any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you should bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If you bring your your offering from the herd, verse 3, he shall bring a male without blemish. But skip down with me, if you will, to verse 10. If the gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or the goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron, the sons of the priest, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar, shall cut into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire of the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. He shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma unto the Lord. I could take you, and time doesn't permit, but I could take you to uh, uh, chapter 3, the law of the peace offering, or chapter 4, the law of the sin offering, or keep going, the law of the, the trespass offering. And all of them required a, a, a animal to die. But that, that phrase is very interesting to me. A lamb without blemish. And so it was, and if, if you could allow us today to use our imagination, that each and every time that a family would begin to gather and come, they would, they would come. It could be a family. It could be just a, a, a man. It could be the priest. There's different levels of that you can read. Uh, if a priest sinned, they were to do this. But a family would come and, and they would bring with them a lamb. The lamb would come out of their own flock. There was this, the, the, you know, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons was Levi, and it was of that tribe of Levi. Come here, uh, priest. Of that tribe of Levi, the priests would gather. And, and it became one of the duties of the priest. Stay right here, guys. I'm, I'm going to get back to you in just a moment. It became the duty of the priest to take the sacrifice and to inspect the sacrifice and determine whether or not this sacrifice was okay. Other places, and I I didn't have time to go through it, other places it talks about the lamb cannot have any broke bones. The lamb cannot have any scratches. The lamb cannot have any tumors. The lamb cannot have any issues of blood flowing from him. It was this lamb that the priest would inspect. And when the priest would inspect the sacrifice... He would deem it acceptable, and the lamb would be killed. Now, how many of you, and I I, I won't see your hand, how many of you say the priest is the one that killed the lamb? How many of you you know that's true? Anybody? A few of you. Okay. Do you know that's not really true? Either all of you were too scared to raise your hands, or y'all are smart. 
But I've lived my entire life thinking it was the priest that did the killing. But instead, if you'll read Leviticus, you'll find that whoever brought the lamb... Now, there were other sacrifices that the, that the, that the priest took care of, but when it came to the sin offerings and the trespass offerings, the Bible says that, that it would be... And this is where... I want you to come back. This is where... The Bible says that they would lay their hand on the offering. Lay hand on. They would lay their hand on the offering. And in doing so, it was a symbolic transference of the guilt and the shame and the sin of this man. And the Bible says that he would kill the lamb. Now, let me, let me see the lamb for a second, just because I want to hold it because y'all get all the fun. See, so you have to be. You have to understand how how cool this is when, when I got a lamb, in the in the office over here, and all the little girls, you know, my my daughter included, is walking in there, and they're wanting to pet the lamb, and this lamb is so new that that it's still on the bottle, and so they get to feed it. And here, you know, we got one bottle that I guess eighteen girls are going to try to, you know, feed, and we're going to do that. But here's how it went. So so they're all in the office before church. And, and, and Addie is there and Zoe and all them. And they said, what are you doing with that lamb, Pastor? And you know me. I've got this mean streak in me. I said, well, I'm going to talk about sacrificing the lamb. And we're going to sacrifice the lamb today on the platform. And <laughs> Zoe, she understands that half the things I say, it's probably I'm probably raising her not to believe anything I say, but it didn't phase Zoe. But if you could have seen the look on Addie's face. She was absolutely horrified. She had thought within her mind that this is absolutely going to happen. Pastor's going to slit the lamb's throat and it's going to be done. You know, but, but here's the interesting thing. When I said that, you know what all you did? Aww. But the reality was this lamb would have lost his life for my sin. The sacrifice isn't designed to be pretty. The sacrifice isn't designed to be some, some bloodless kind of exercise where it just looks good. But sin had reared its head in humanity. And sin had become so ugly. And sin had become so desecrating that the lamb had to die. It would have been, and, and I'm convinced... That, that these lambs, they raised these lambs, and I understand they, don't, they, they weren't pets. Pets is kind of a newer thing when it comes to humanity. When you're just trying to make sure you got enough food to eat and you got to scrape by with a living, you don't really have pets. One of the things that got me was my wife and I, we, were, we, we went over to uh, Tonga. Thank you very much. We went over to Tonga, and, and we were sitting there in Tonga, and Tonga's a very poor country, and, and a lot of them, you know, they, they don't, live off of a lot of money it's what they grow it's what they raise and and they're there and of course we're there we're 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 there as the preachers and 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 just because of that there's kind of this this they look up to us and and you know I didn't feel it I was enjoying being there and learning of them and seeing their worship but you know they just kind of have this reverence for the missionary and the, and the preachers and and we get there and and, and, of course, I, I love food, and I will eat anything and everything. If you, I don't care if it's moving on my plate. If you tell me it's good, I'm going to try it, and we're going to be great. We get there after one church, and, and we're just in this block building, and they brought food, and, and uh, one of the ladies in the church was actually the, the, the personal chef of the king of Tonga. And so she knows how to fix food. My mom and dad have been there. They, they know it. She, I mean, she fixes food that these people don't ever get. So we're getting to eat some of their, their food, a lot of the stuff from the ocean. And, and they bring out this, this, this platter. 
It's got a whole piglet on it. Now, that, that impresses me. I, I kind of like pork and pig, and, you know, we can do that. My wife, not so much. You know, it's got eyes. It's looking at her, and she's a little concerned about how it is. And there's this little boy. He can't be more than six or seven years old. He's hovering behind us. And he keeps going, is it good? Do you like it? Do you like it? I'm like, oh, I, and I really did. I loved it. My wife may have been fibbing a little bit, you know, as she choked it down just so she did. But, but he looked at me, and he looked at my wife. And if you know my wife and how tenderhearted she is, he looked at my wife, and he said this. That's my pig. I raised that just for you. Now, I understood what he was saying. He was so proud of it. My wife is losing it over there. I mean, she's under the table weeping and crying and gnashing of teeth and wailing. But can I tell you, those lambs, they were raised for one purpose and one purpose alone. To help cover the sin of those who had, who had transgressed. Throughout the history, throughout the time, it kept going. You would have these, these I don't know, I mean, uh, somebody at some point counted up all of the sacrifices that happened in the Bible that you can see and, and said, but I'm telling you, countless millions upon millions of animals from, from the time of the Garden of Eden all the way up until the time of the New Testament, countless animals lost their life to cover the sins of humanity. The Old Testament was a bloody place. It was was a place where, where the atonement came from an innocent life. These priests, their jobs were to inspect it. I, I have a feeling there were times that somebody would come and bring a lamb or bring a, 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 an animal for sacrifice and, and either by mistake or because they didn't care, that priest would have to say, this is not acceptable. I can't accept this. Something's broken on it. You can't bring me the runts of the litter. You can't bring the, the lambs you don't like. You can't bring the ones that are broken. God desires and demands only the best. Some would have to be turned away. It's why later on when you find that Jesus is, is turning over tables in the temple, and it's because as society and as they, they grew and they became more centered in cities, a lot of people didn't have flocks anymore. Now they were tradesmen. Now they were townspeople. And so if they were going to have a sacrifice, they would have to go buy a lamb. And so the, the, the synagogue or, or the temples, they, they said, hey, we can make a little extra money if we have a pen out here and it's got lambs in it. And you know people can come and buy their lambs and then go sacrifice and you know what we can charge them a little more because they have to do it that's what made Jesus mad but it was those priests job to approve the sacrifice for generations upon generations the sons of Levi would come and they would would take care of it and finally I, I, I get to this place where, where I, I see a priest, he's, he's in the tabernacle or, or, or the temple at this point, and, and he's working there, and, and, and he, he's a son of Levi because only those that were of the lineage of Levi could be in the priest. His wife is even a, a, a daughter of Levi. I mean, we're talking thousands of years later. He walks blamelessly in all the commandments. He has lived for the Lord. He's working in the temple but his wife was barren, and they were old, no children. Gabriel 
comes in and appears one day while this man, this, this priest by the name of Zacharias is, is in the temple and, and, and Gabriel the angel appears and he says, I, I, I've seen you and, and, and even though uh, you think it can't happen, I'm going to let your wife have a child. You're going to name him John. He's going to be great before the Lord. He, he was to be of the Nazarite vow, the same thing that Samson was, not to drink any strong drink. He was supposed to conduct himself a little bit differently. And Zechariah said, how is this going to happen? I'm old. My wife is old. There's not a chance. And he kind of scoffed. He kind of laughed. And Gabriel said, you know what? Just because you kind of have this unbelieving spirit and you're laughing about it, you're not going to be able to say one word until that baby is born. For nine months... His wife Elizabeth begins to grow with child. You have the story, if you know anything uh, about this and, and kind of where I'm going, you know the story that, that somewhere in there, they, uh, uh, Mary and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Elizabeth, they were cousins. And Mary is expecting with child, and she comes, and she meets with her, her cousin, who's a lot older than her, and she's with child, and it's just this incredible uh, moment. And finally, the baby is born. Remember, dad can't speak. And so the baby's born. It's a beautiful moment. Everybody's excited. And they said, oh, you're going to name him Zechariah after his father because surely he's going to follow in his father's footsteps. John, uh, Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. We're going to name him, him John. It's not going to be Zacharias. And they, could, they didn't believe her. They, they finally go to Zechariah and they say, look, your wife's crazy. She's obviously experiencing some things. We need to name this child Zechariah. And, 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 and uh, uh, Zechariah gets some sort of a slate or a, a writing tablet and he writes, his name is John. And it was that at that moment his tongue was loosed and John began to grow and we don't know much just like we don't know much about Jesus' birth and I mean much about what happened after Jesus' birth we don't know a lot about John you would think that, that John the Baptist would have followed in his dad's footsteps that after all he was a priest but, but John the Baptist begins to walk on the scene and, and John the Baptist is completely, completely different than his dad Instead of working and operating in the temple, instead of being there and, and, and being in the pomp and the circumstance and wearing the flowing garments, instead the Bible tells of John that he was clothed in goat hair and, and his hair would have been long because of his Nazarite vow. And, and, and he, was, he was a rough and tumble man. The Bible says he ate locusts and wild honey. He was as far away from the priesthood as you could ever have thought. We're so used to the priests saying these beautiful phrases. We're so used to the priests coming and, and, and you know, giving blessings and, and, and showing the splendor and the grandeur of what happened there in the temple. But instead, the words that John the Baptist said were completely different. They went like this. He would call out that for day and night. The Bible doesn't tell us how long he preached, but he affected that entire region. 
there were those that came and by the scores John would go down to the Jordan River and would baptize them and he would say I'm baptizing you in repentance you need to be repentant you need to bring fruits of repentance if you stole you need to give back if you've lied you need to confess your sin and John the Baptist it, I mean, people scores of them were baptized but there were those that laughed at him. There were those that mocked him. There were those that, that said you're, you're, you're crazy. There were those that says you missed your calling. You should have followed after your father's footsteps. You should have been a priest. You should be dignified. But instead you're doing this. Until that day. He had said that I'm only here for a moment. I must decrease. While there's one coming that must Increase, And then the Bible says in Luke chapter 3, uh, uh, or, or I'm sorry, John chapter, no, Luke chapter 3, the Bible says that, that, that John began to, or, or that, that John the Baptist began to look, and I am right, I mean, let's go to, to John, that would help me out immensely. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 29, that one day while he was preaching and ministering as he had done, there came one walking through the crowd. At this point, no one knew who this man was. There were some that would have said that's Mary and Joseph's son. There were some that would have said, you know, he's the carpenter's son and maybe some even had a table or a chair that he had made. But on that day walked someone whose destiny was far greater than just mere men. And it was that as he walked through the crowd, John the Baptist pointed his finger and said, If you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, you find that Hebrews tells us that everything about Jesus was better than the old covenant in the Old Testament. For those of you that were here last year, you know I preached almost, I think it was almost 17 weeks, I preached on the book of Hebrews. And we went through it. But listen here. The, the fact, we know this. See, I'm not telling you anything new. We know that Jesus died for our sins. We know that he was buried. We understand all of that. But what you need to realize now was that the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross absolutely mirrors what the Old Testament law demanded. The Old Testament law demanded that before a sacrifice could come, before a sacrifice was accepted, a priest must acknowledge and approve the sacrifice. There were those that said John the Baptist missed his calling. There were those that said John the Baptist should have followed in his father's footsteps. But what they did not know on a cosmic divine scale, when John the Baptist pointed his finger and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, he was fulfilling one of the greatest things that a priest would ever do when a son of Levi looked at that Lamb coming and he said, I'm approving that Lamb is okay for the sacrifice. I, I don't have time. It's, it's, it's fast escaping me. But you know Jesus was baptized by John. John laid his hand on him. And, and things begin to happen. We go through another three and a half years until finally everything is coming together. Jesus. Falsely accused. Beaten. Until his back hangs in ribbons. All of that is happening so that you and I might have life and that more abundantly. 
like a lamb led to a slaughter. Jesus was. Can you imagine, and again, I'm not trying to gross you out, but can you imagine if we really were going to sacrifice that lamb? That lamb, you know, picked it up. It, 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 it scared half to death. Like I said, it's still being nursed. It's on a bottle. The umbilical cord of that lamb is still attached to it. It's that young. When, when, when Rache went and picked up that lamb over there in Moscow Mills this, early this morning, you can imagine that poor lamb is like, what in the world is happening? I, I had this nice, warm mom and, 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 and uh, corral or, or, or whatever they're in, and you know, now I'm here and I'm driving in a car, never done that before, and you know, you, you get here and it's, it's kind of scared, and then all the little girls gather around it and pet it. Oh, it feels so loved. That lamb would have no idea what was going to await it. That's why the Bible says like a lamb led to the slaughter because those lambs don't realize what's happening. They just go there and then the act is done. It's dead. It's done. It's over. Jesus, while he knew everything that was happening, he fulfilled that, that, that part so perfectly. He walked as a lamb to the slaughter. was done. Approved. And then killed. The law of the sacrifice demanded that before a sacrifice could be accepted, they must lay their hand on that lamb's head so that the, the, the transference or the symbolic transference of, of my sin, if I was going to have to, to bring the lamb because I've sinned, I would bring that lamb, I would lay my hand on it, and I would transfer symbolically the weight of my sin on that lamb, and then the lamb would die. See, I'm convinced there's a lot of things. When, when, when Jesus was baptized and John the Baptist laid his hands on that, it was symbolic of the priest laying his hand on the sacrifice. What about before Calvary, those few hours? Oh, let's go plant a, a, a vine of thorns and let's crush it on your head. All of those that had a, a part in putting that on the head of Jesus. They thought they were inflicting pain. They thought they were being funny in their torture. But what they did not know is unwittingly they were placing the sin of mankind on a spotless lamb that was about to be led to Golgotha's hill and there transfixed between heaven and hell. The lamb for sinners slain would lay until every drop of blood had exited his body and you and I would have redemption for our sin. The lamb... That was slain. I could tell you, I could tell you all about it, but my goodness, if you don't know about the cross, if you don't know about that, I don't know what, what else to do. There is something very interesting that I found. If you have your Bibles, I, I want to ask, I want to ask that you would turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 15. In the book of Numbers chapter 15, there's a statement that's made that, that really, it, it, it gets me. I don't know how your Bible's laid out. My Bible that I have at the beginning of each chapter, it tells me in bold letters what that's about. And here it says it's the law about sacrifices. And again, it tells you that, you know, you got to bring a, a, a lamb that's good. You can't, you know, you can't have it. But look, look with me to to Numbers chapter 15 and verse 30. First off, let me, let me start here. Go back, I mean, you don't have to go now, but if you go back to Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, you're going to find this phrase, and I, I use the English Standard Version. Uh, I was talking to my dad earlier. He pulled it up on the King James. But, but you'll notice that it says, if anyone sins unintentionally, 
their need to offer a sacrifice. The understanding was that, you know, you, you would know the law and, and, and yet somehow you would, you would, I mean, look at the law that, that, that is there and takes all of Leviticus, it takes all of Deuteronomy, it takes all of Numbers, it takes all of that to get it. And so surely there would be times that they would mistakenly slip up and not follow the law and that's what it means if you had accidentally transgressed the law. But there, there's a statement in Numbers chapter 15 verse 30, it says, uh, but the, the person who does anything with a high hand, what that means is on purpose, intentional. Whether he's a native or a sojourner, he reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. And because he's despised the word of the Lord, he's broken his commandment, and the person shall be utterly cut off, and his iniquity shall be upon him. Listen to me very carefully. The law had no provision for someone who sinned willingly. The law said, we stone you. We ex excommunicate you. And excommunication in that day was as good as death because if you couldn't go and give your sacrifices, if you couldn't come and you were separated from the tabernacle of God, the presence of God, you were destined to die alone and you were to die in your sin. And the, the Old Testament, the law, had no provision for mercy. I'm going to tell you right now, none of us can say I accidentally sinned. Because sin is an own purpose thing. Oh God, I know I told that lie and, and, and uh, I know I stole that and I, I know I did this, but I accidentally did it. That's as stupid as Adam saying, well, I, I don't really know why I ate the apple. Eve gave it to me, it's her fault. Sin is intentional. Which is why when David spit in the face of God, saw Bathsheba on, the, on the, the roof and desired her and lust began to grow and then he had to act on that lust and an affair blossomed, a baby was conceived and then a murder of, of Bathsheba's husband took place and David realized he had intentionally sinned. David, if you go and you look at, at, at Psalms, this beautiful psalm, and I know we, we talk about it a lot, but hopefully for just a moment or two, I, I could take you into a deeper understanding of this psalm, Psalms 51, because watch this. When David fell to his knees and, and remembered, I mean, he, he realized, but he, he knew it all along, but he came to grips, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's the first thing he said? Have mercy on me because David realized this that there was no way there was any provision in the law that would allow him to be free or saved except the mercy of God what about verse 11 verse 11 cast me not away from your presence take not your Holy Spirit from me I promise you David knew Numbers chapter 15 that he deserved, even if he was king, he deserved to be thrown out of camp, excommunicated. And in fact, if you really want to look back at Levitical law, if you fornicated or you did adultery, you, you, you died of a stoning. David knew that's what he deserved. Let's take it a little bit further. Let's go to, to uh, uh, verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. David, as king, could have offered, in fact, he did in his life, he could have offered thousands of sacrifices. But he realized that a sacrifice at that point was never going to satisfy the law. He could have offered a sacrifice every hour on the hour for, for the rest of his life, and it still wouldn't have satisfied. And so that's why he gets verse, uh, six, or verse 17. The only thing I can do, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And he put himself on the ground with tears streaming out of his eyes. And he said, I've sinned. I've failed. I need a lamb. Today, you and I, we're so privileged because we, we know the, the end of the story. We know the lamb that was led there to Calvary's hill. We understand the, the death that took place. We understand the burial and the resurrection we understand that it's because of his death that you and I when we uh, repent of our sins and we can we can kind of correlate that with his death we can say Lord I'm ready for this old man to die I don't want to sin anymore I don't want to be this anymore Lord I want to lay this old sinful nature that I've carried for so long the guilt, the shame, the lust the, the all of that I want to lay it at the altar and I don't want to pick it up again. I repent of my sins. We understand that because Jesus was buried, the Bible says we are buried with him in the waters of baptism because we take that dead carnal nature that we killed at an altar and we said, Lord, I don't want to be that old sinner anymore. And we walk it down into the water and just like Jesus was buried in a tomb, we are buried in the waters of baptism and that name that's above all names is called over us. We're baptized, as Peter said, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, we are baptized in Jesus' name. Buried with him in baptism. But just as Christ raised from the dead triumphal, he did that so that you and I can walk out of that baptismal water and we can be raised to life by his spirit. The Bible says we shall receive the spirit of God. Acts 2.38 begins to tell us more about it. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promises unto you and to your children and all that are afar off. And our salvation is anchored in his gospel, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, it all sounds good, Pastor, but where does it go from here? Well, I'm glad you asked. How about the book of Revelation? John, not John the Baptist, but John the Revelator. John there, imprisoned on that island of Patmos, sees this vision, this, this incredible thing unfold, and while there's a lot that even today I don't understand, and I'm convinced as long as I'm alive and study the Word of God and, and preach, I probably will never understand it all until it actually comes to pass. There was a time in verse four, chapter 4 and chapter 5 that there's a scroll that was written in seven seals, and it begins to talk about the end of the world and how everything's going to pan out. And those that gathered around the throne of God said, you know, we... No one is worthy to open the scroll. There's no one worthy to let the end of time unravel. No one in heaven, no one in earth. 
John said he began to weep loudly because he so desperately wanted to know what was going to happen. He said, until I looked and saw. Until one of the elders said, weep no more. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. And he is able to bring us to eternity and open the scroll. And there standing between the throne, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, there's a lot of other things I can't understand, the seven spirits and the horns and all of that. I don't know all of that yet, but I understand the lamb that was slain. You say, well, where does that go from there? I'm, I'm glad you asked because I could take you towards the end of Revelation. It's what I'm looking for more than anything in this world. For the Bible says that John began to hear the voice of a great multitude. They said, hallelujah, the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. We rejoice and exalt. We give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready and is granted to clothe herself with fine linen, bright, linen, bright and pure. And the angel said unto me, John, write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the married supper of the Lamb. There will be a day that no longer will I see the Calvary Lamb, but I'm going to see a Lamb that was slain. But he said on that day, I will be able to walk on those streets of gold and I will see him as he is. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see when I look upon his face and I see his grace I can't wait for that day and I can be a part of the marriage supper of the lamb because there was a lamb slain and because there was a priest by the name of John who said behold the lamb of God and he said that sacrifice is acceptable it wasn't for the lamb's need. Lamb knew he was okay. Jesus understood everything. He, he, it, that wasn't for, for Jesus' benefit. It was for everybody else's benefit. They didn't understand it at that moment. But I promise you, there came a time when it finally began to click. Maybe, just maybe. It puts hand in hand that phrase are under the cross where that that soldier who had done those horrible things to God said, surely this is the Son of God. Sacrifice. Today I've come to tell you not something you don't know. I've not come to proclaim something brand new. It's Easter after all. I've just come to tell you one more time, behold the Lamb. If you need it, He's here. The sacrifice that was done on Calvary was enough. And here's that word. If you've been around me long enough, you know my favorite theological word. Anybody remember what it is? Efficacious. You ought to know that. I say it. My favorite word. What it means is the blood of Jesus shed on Calvary was efficacious for all of eternity. What that mean was there was a time, a place, a fixed time that Jesus died on that cross. And he's never going to have to die again. 
Because it doesn't matter if it was the day after. It doesn't matter if it was the day of Pentecost. It doesn't matter if it was back in the 1900s or if it was right now or if God remains and we are here for another 100 years. I will tell you the blood that that lamb shed on Calvary has never, ever, 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 ever lost its power. And today, it's just as good right now as it was all the way back then. And if you need the lamb of God to for and the blood that he shed to be applied on your life, it's here. All you got to do is repent of your sins. All you have to do is be buried in baptism in his name. And he will fill you with his spirit so that you might have life and that more abundantly. I wonder if we could stand to our feet right now and begin to lift our hands to heaven. I wonder if we could begin to exalt the name. I wonder if we could get a glimpse of Calvary for a moment. I wonder if we could get a glimpse of that lamb for just a moment. Behold the lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world.